Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering, delivering made-from-scratch hot meals and individual boxed lunches for fast distribution to offices, warehouses, and factories, even on nights and weekends. Details are at grandmascatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. Today is Wednesday, September 13th. Coming up, the number of Kansas students who are chronically missing school has nearly doubled in the past two years. Teachers say the COVID-19 pandemic changed attitudes about attendance. They're like, I've just gotten out of the habit of coming to school or parents have even shared. They're like, my child doesn't doesn't want to go. We'll look at why students aren't showing up and how schools are trying to bring them back. Plus, Missouri Governor Mike Parson vetoed more than half a billion dollars in spending from the state budget. Today is lawmakers' chance to undo those cuts. I think there's motivation. I think there's desire there, but I don't know if they're going to get it or honestly get the two-thirds votes needed in each chamber to do it. We'll bring you a preview of Missouri's veto session. But first, some headlines. Evergy has asked Missouri regulators to let customers opt out of their time-based payment plans. KCUR's Savannah Holly-Bates has more. Evergy's time-of-use plans place a premium on electricity prices on summer days between 4 and 8 p.m. According to the Missouri Independent, the utility provider asked the Missouri Public Service Commission for changes after what it called, quote, substantial complaints. Evergy wants to give customers the option to return to traditional flat rate pricing starting in May, allowing them to experience the time-use options until then. The company also wants to switch the default plan from its standard peak saver, which quadruples the summer afternoon rate, to the peak reward saver plan which has a much smaller price increase at peak times and offers a discount for power used between midnight and 6 a.m. A federal judge is considering requiring the Kansas Highway Patrol to get written consent from some drivers before they can search cars. Blaze Mesa of the Kansas News Service reports. Federal law does not require written approval to search someone's car. But federal court judge Catherine Fraddle says the Highway Patrol's regular use of unconstitutional searches means the agency needs a different set of rules. The injunction stems from a tactic the patrol used called the Kansas Two-Step. It was used to target drivers who might have marijuana and get them to consent to searches. The Highway Patrol has opposed the additional oversight, saying it gets in the way of police work. Prairie Village residents will not vote this November on any of three petitions related to rezoning and governance. Kyle Palmer explains why. A court case involving the petitions remains unresolved, but late last week, the Johnson County Election Office announced it was too late to add any new items on the November 7th ballot. A judge had cleared one of the three petitions for a vote, though there was some confusion over exactly which one, leading to delays and additional hearings last week, and that forced the election office's hand. In a statement, the county's election commissioner said they need to begin preparing and printing advance ballots and could no longer wait. Two petitions aim to remake Prairie Village city government. One of those could appear on a future ballot. A third regarding rezoning was tossed out by the judge. We'll be back after this. It's Friday night. What places are you heading to for post-work happy hour? Tell us. This podcast is making a best of the best list and needs recommendation for happy hour menus at restaurants in KC. Text us at 816-601-4777. That's 816-601-4777. Standard texting rates apply. 
The number of Kansas students who are chronically absent has nearly doubled in the past two years. That means more are at risk of falling behind or dropping out. Suzanne Perez of the Kansas News Service looks at why students aren't showing up and how schools are trying to bring them back. At Riverside Elementary in Wichita, teachers are greeting students as they get off the bus, including some who didn't show up the day before. Hi, Aaliyah. I missed you yesterday. I'm glad you're back. Hi, guys. Absences like that are becoming more common. Since the start of the pandemic, Kansas schools have seen huge spikes in the number of students who are chronically absent. That means they miss at least 10% of days in a given school year. Robin Kelso monitors attendance trends for the Kansas Department of Education. She says some students struggled with the transition to remote learning and then back again to normal school routines. Others saw their mental health suffer and lost the motivation to attend class. I can't help but think that COVID played a significant role in seeing those numbers increase over the last two or three years. Research shows that kids who miss a lot of school in the early grades miss crucial instruction and are more likely to not read on grade level by third grade. That increases their chances of falling behind in middle school and ultimately dropping out of high school. A student missing one to two days a month beginning in kindergarten will have missed the equivalent of an entire year of school by the time they hit 12th grade. The state's largest school district in Wichita recently kicked off an attendance awareness campaign, sharing messages with families about how missing even a few days can affect a student's success. The district hired Everyday Labs, a California software company, which is part of a growing industry devoted to getting kids to get to school. A missed school day is a missed opportunity. At Everyday Labs, we work to reduce those The company analyzes trends in school attendance data and alerts families with letters, emails, and text messages when their child misses too much school. These so-called nudges compare a student's attendance to his or her classmates at that particular school. Everyday Lab CEO Emily Baylord says it's a concept gleaned from those home energy reports, the ones that compare your energy use to your neighbors. A little dose of peer pressure designed to change behavior. Parents have a lot of misconceptions about attendance. Most parents, you know, really don't keep track of the number of days our children have missed school and when asked to estimate, get it wrong. And they get it really wrong. Research shows that when you ask a parent how many days of school their child has missed, they guess about half the actual number. Parents also tend to downplay the effect of missed school in the early grades, figuring a day here or there doesn't matter for a kindergartner but it doesn't take long for the consequences to add up. I might notice that my fourth grader is struggling in school academically or even socially or behaviorally, but I'm really unlikely to connect that to the fact that my child's also missed school a couple days a month. Unlike truancy, which relates to unexcused absences, chronic absenteeism includes excused absences like sick days, medical appointments, family commitments, or vacations. The State Department of Education is encouraging schools to connect with families to see what might be causing students to miss class. Some families cite transportation issues or chronic illnesses such as asthma or a student feeling bullied or isolated at school. Laura Druard is principal at Riverside Elementary in Wichita. She says COVID changed our perspective on sick days, too. If our kids have a sniffles or a cough, there still is this idea out there of, of worry that it might spread. During COVID, schools advised parents to keep kids home for even minor symptoms. Now they're back to the old guidelines, 
Don't come to school if you have a fever, vomiting, or diarrhea. Otherwise, show up. And Druard's message to families is simple. Every minute matters. For the Kansas News Service, I'm Suzanne Perez in Wichita. Missouri legislature will reconvene today for its annual veto session. The biggest item on the agenda will likely be the half a billion dollars in spending Republican Governor Mike Parson removed from lawmakers' budget. St. Louis Public Radio State House reporter Sarah Kellogg spoke with Jonathan All about what's next. Sarah, what is the veto session? The veto session is when all lawmakers convene the second Wednesday of September, and they all gather together to consider whether or not they want to overturn any of the governor's veto. So it's a once a year thing. It is in the Constitution, so it has to happen. Now, sometimes it's really a non-affair because, you know, you got a Republican governor, you got a Republican legislature. They agree a lot. I think, you know, when we had a Democratic governor, Governor Jay Nixon, the veto sessions were a lot more robust because there was that disagreement. So that's kind of in general what the veto session is. So what is the dynamic going to be like this year? You know, that's a good question. I think, again, you kind of have the Republican governor and Governor Mike Parson and the supermajority in both chambers. But there was a lot of discontent over Governor Parson's recent vetoing of over $500 million in the budget. And there were Republicans that were mad about that as well as Democrats. So it's kind of interesting. He only vetoed one actual like bill. Everything else was budget. But there was a lot that was cut out of the budget. Are you expecting lawmakers to try to restore some of those budget cuts? I think that's a really good question. I do expect some attempts on the House side. So with the veto session, pretty much the origin of the chamber where the bill started is where the veto process has to start. So with the budget, they're all House bills. So they all have to start in the House. And so I do expect the House members to bring up vetoes. Now, in the Senate side, there's kind of this wrinkle where it's tradition, it's not actually in the law, but it's tradition that the sponsor of the bill is the one to bring it up. So for budget bills, that would be Senator Lincoln Huff, who's the appropriations chair. Now, he's not, this is his first time as appropriations chair, so I don't know if he has any appetite of bringing that up. I know Senator Hegeman, his predecessor, pretty much didn't want to do that. And that was consistently a sort of uh, a, a source of contention the last couple of years. Lawmakers hold very closely projects in their districts. Would that be the fuel for a Republican legislature to override a Republican governor's veto of government spending? Yeah, I think that is a, a big question to be had. I know that Governor Parson pretty much said a lot of the things that he did veto he thought would be used for state, like local funding, not state funding. And he did say, I think if you look at a lot of the districts, you'll see that like everywhere got projects. But I think people were mad that, yeah, their, their personal projects didn't get funded. And that leads to this tension in the Senate, whereas who has the right to bring up a bill? Is it the only sponsor? And that's been, I've been calling it a kerfuffle the last couple of times I've talked about it because it's whether or not they, you know, if Senator Schroer wants to override a, a project that he wanted, well, it's technically not his bill. It's Huff's bill. So is Huff going to let him do that? Or is he going to, you know, so that's kind of the big question is I think there's motivation. I think there's desire there, but I don't know if they're going to get it or honestly get the two thirds votes needed in each chamber to do it. The last few legislative sessions seem to be marked by their lack of action, despite having the supermajority of Republicans and a Republican governor. Do you think this veto session is going to be the same? Looking at it through dysfunction, I think veto session is a little different in that it is ultimately still a supermajority and a Republican governor. And again, he only vetoed one statutory bill. Everything else is budget. And I think that 
the question is maybe, well, maybe we'll just bring it up again next year. I think a lot of the dysfunction really comes from passing bills more than overriding because two-thirds is not easy to achieve anyway. You know, it's not a simple majority. So I'm not expecting maybe like the same intensity that I see during regular session. I know there will be disagreements. There has been the last couple of years, but I don't see it being as big. St. Louis Public Radio State House reporter Sarah Kellogg, thank you very much. Thank you. That was reporters Sarah Kellogg and Jonathan All. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. This podcast is produced by Paris Norval and KCUR Studios and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. To read Suzanne's story about chronic absentees and Sarah's reporting on the Missouri State House, visit kcur.org, where you can find more local news from Kansas City's NPR station. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you tomorrow. You listen to this podcast every day because it's your KC local reliable news source. You take us seriously. But you know, we like to get down and we want you to party with us. Join us at our annual benefit, Radioactive, on June 14th. NPR's All Things Considered host, Ari Shapiro, is the featured guest at this party, and it's gonna be bumping. You gotta be there. Sponsorship packages and ticket information are available at kcur.org slash radioactive.